This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thank you, Disabody Hot Girl Voice. This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And I'm Robert as always. Uh, you always have to throw in the as always. Well, because if I don't, then people will forget who I am. What, that maybe sometimes you're not Robert from the podcast? It happens. It, it does happen. Oh. But you know what? Enough about us, because who wants to listen to us? It's, you know. Oh, yeah. De- definitely not about us today. Yes. No. This is a very exciting episode for me personally. I know Ernie's excited. We have an actual real guest who's joining us today. A real guest. Well, all our previous guests are people we know, so I'm not sure that as opposed to the, the previous way. guests that we've had, we have a real guest. No, um, we are well, we are proud to introduce Tyler. He is film critic. Two birds of a joke, but he this guy is, is podcaster. No he is a a up and coming professor. We we'll give go, you that sure. for it. <laughs> up and coming professor, all about film and movies. Um, he's. Almost what you would call an expert on the movie field. I mean, would you would you consider that to be true, Tyler? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's I'll, I'll be honest. It's it's a weird it's a weird situation. Um, I, I've at this point done a lot of public speaking, given a lot of talks, and now as a professor, I do get paid to talk about movies. But it's it's weird that that all of this is a fairly recent development in the last few years, and so. I still feel like just some moron talking into a mic about whatever movies I happen to see. But then you look at everyone saying, you know, I say everyone, like a handful of people saying like, no, no, we, we want to hear what you have to say. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, I, I guess. But I'm very reluctant to use the word expert. There's, I have a lot of blind spots. And that's, and that's kind of the fun I think is that, it's the blind spots that make things a constant learning experience when it comes to movies because there's so much stuff. I mean, heck, we've gotten stuff literally wrong on the show um, before to the point where, where my wife in the background sometimes is yelling, that's not right, that's incorrect. And you're, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, I'm wrong, it's fine. But it's, it's kind of the fun of it because you can kind of engage your audience a little bit to those blind spots. And they're like, well, you know this thing. And you're like, okay. You may not agree with me. You may have this other site or other view, but you're engaged, and that's kind of the fun. Have you seen that in, in, in kind of your experience with this? Oh, absolutely. And and I do think that certainly in the academic world and in the critic world, there there is especially online. There's a lot of I won't say like posturing or anything like this, but people try to play up what they do know and not what they what they don't, which makes sense. But at the same time, I think if you acknowledge the stuff, the blind spots you have, it can make you, it can open up avenues of conversation. Um, and it can keep you humble. You know, it would be, you know, when I was younger, if I met someone who hadn't seen a certain movie that I considered essential, I would be like, you haven't seen that. And then I realized like, yeah, there's a ton of stuff I haven't seen. It's uh, like, no one has seen everything. Uh, and so it's perfectly okay to have those blind spots, especially if it allows you to have a conversation. And if you have a blind spot, it means that there are great movies out there that you have the opportunity to see for the first time, which is very exciting. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I, I think the problem that I have is the fact that I enjoy going to see the movies. Like, I like the experience. I like, you know, getting tickets, sitting in the movie theater, getting the popcorn, you know, spending a little bit more to get – 
the collectible cups and the tins. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just like being transported away. Like my entire life I've been that way. Do you sometimes have that? Do you still have that, that type of feeling or is it more like this is what I want to do. So I got to look at it kind of like in this frame of, you know, critiquing, uh, I mean, I'm never out of that frame of mind, but I will say that when I talk to some of my friends um, who are big movie people, I consider myself extremely fortunate because I am still able to lose myself in a great movie. Um, you know, and I do enjoy the popcorn and the whole, I enjoy the experience. There's really nowhere. I, I enjoy talking with people and I've, yeah, I've, you know, my wife and I travel every once in a while. That's all well and good. But uh, there's really nowhere I would rather be than in a movie theater seeing a movie that I've been anticipating. But at the same time, it can also be fun to go see a movie that I haven't been anticipating and don't have very high hopes for. And it surprises me and it turns out to be really good. So it's just that sense of, again, anticipation uh, that what I'm about to see could wind up being one of my favorite movies of the year, maybe even of my life. Who knows? Um, and that's there. There's. Nothing I'd rather experience so than that. What is the last movie then, given given that statement that kind of surprised you like that? <laughs> okay, okay, well here we all go. ears. Let's go. Let's make the magic happen. So, <laughs> all right. So I, I've expe- I've had an interesting experience lately. So I don't know if you guys frequent Rotten Tomatoes or we anything did like a that. Whole episode on Rotten Tomatoes, yes. actually. <laughs> Wonderful. I wish I I wish I had been there for that because that I now have I now have a different or a, a unique perspective on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, Toy Story Four uh, has like a ninety eight percent approval rating, and one of the people keeping it from being a hundred percent was me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, okay. I didn't, I didn't hate the movie by any, <clears throat> I didn't hate the movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's a perfectly fine movie, but I thought it was unnecessary mm. and I thought it was forgettable. And mm. after the third Toy Story movie, which I thought was an absolute masterpiece, oh, yeah. I was just like, why did this movie have to be made? Like, but you know what? I did. I went into the third movie wondering why did this movie have to be made? And it more than justified its own existence. Whereas Toy Story four never quite did for me. So I gave it, even though in my review, I do point out the stuff I like about it. I ultimately gave it a rotten rating and boy, did I discover that people are very possessive of their Pixar, uh, because there are only like seven or eight critics that gave it a rotten review. And there are people on Twitter, there are people on Facebook, uh, and certainly in the comments section of my review that said like, you kept it from being a hundred percent. And I was just like, well, Okay, so what? Do you have stock in the company? Who cares? But people, they care so much about that. On Battleship Pretension, my co-host did not care for Avengers Endgame. And Hmm. people did did the exact same thing to him. Um, And they said, like, how could you hate this movie and all that? It's just like, who cares? It's my opinion. You have your opinion. And by the way, my my negative review of Toy Story 4 is not going to keep it from doing well. So Hmm. just, like... And I and I go into a movie wanting it to be good, um, but yeah. So <clears throat> that, along with uh, Child's Play, are the two probably most recent uh, movies I've seen in the theater. I've been a little bit under the weather, so the, there's a lot of stuff I've missed, unfortunately. Um, and then I'm seeing I'm seeing The Lion King next week. 
Oh God, yeah, I'm I'm wondering what your feelings are going to be on that because I I am not a fan of even the idea of it, just because oh, do we yeah. really need a CGI movie called live action? But that's a whole other digression. I want right, to it's just a the, different form of animation at this point. Really, who needs it? But I want to go back to the Toy Story Four thing because this brings up, and I know Ernie has strong feelings on this as well. It's the difference between giving feedback on a movie, like you did. And trolling yeah. the movie, especially when it comes to movies like big, big group movies like Pixar or Endgame, where you know, I know, and everybody knows that everybody's going to go see it anyways. It's going to do fantastic, and our little reviews are going to be nothing. Yeah. But at the same point, we want to be out there saying, look, this is an okay movie. It has some good points and some very cool scenes. But it has a lot of plot holes, and it has a lot of things that people didn't like about it. Endgame was one of them, and Toy Story, again, was the same idea, that it was just like there's there's tidbits in there that make it not a great movie. It's an okay movie, but then you have your fanatics. What what kind of experience have you seen like with, the as we call them, right, or any of the trolls of the industry? Well – there's there are people that's the thing you know you you differentiate between feedback and trolling there are trolls out there absolutely the problem is that it quickly t uh, trolls another word is haters people will use that word hater uh going back to the those, tonight. <laughs> yeah yeah um it's the word is alive and well when you say it when you give a movie a bad review that someone loves apparently anyway um but it's it's this feeling of like when, if I were to say the movie was good, then I'm giving feedback. But since I didn't like a movie that most people love, well, now I'm a troll. Like people will ascribe different motivations. They'll ascribe uh, different methods and tactics. Like I had a number of people that accused me and a number of the other reviewers. Th this situation kind of bonded us all together, uh, oddly enough. Like there, there are other critics that I know now mm. because – they were the only, you know, I think there are now eight of us. Wow. But, uh, but anyway, uh, but they got, they actually got hit even harder, but there are, there are so many people that said, you're just doing this cause you're some nothing critic with a nothing website and you just wanted to get clicks. And it's like, wow, I didn't know how positive it was going to be received when I submitted the review. Like, it's so idiotic to think that way. I'm sure there are people out there. In fact, I know that there are people out there that will do things just for clicks. But I don't know any critics that do that. Right. I know there are plenty of, like, movie news websites that will play that up. That's fine. But uh, but critics, the vast majority of them, they don't, they don't change their opinion. They don't heighten their opinion. They just give their opinion and if it happens to be in the mainstream great if not so be it like but there are so many people that they they feel such a sense of ownership of the stuff they like that if you don't like it they take it as a personal thing somehow and they feel the need to defend it like and it's crazy you know this is a this is a family friendly podcast so i can't say what everybody said but there are people that that essentially screamed, uh, you know, you can't scream on the internet, but all caps, uh, screamed profanity about this nice family film. And it's just, it's crazy to me. Uh, but that's the thing is it's also part of a franchise that a lot of people grew up with. So again, they feel that, that possessive quality and somehow by giving it a negative review, they thought that I was somehow trying to take that away from them. And it's of course not. I, I love the Toy Story films as much as anybody else and this one just fell short it's not the end of the world you know i wonder if you can look back at the history of cinema and you can find any point in time where people are that possessive about their movies like you don't hear about this about you know happening in the golden age or silver age of 
of movies. You didn't hear about them like trying to tear down people and families just because they didn't follow the 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 uh, you know the main the main uh, feeling about a movie. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. One is the internet, which allows you to associate only with the people and content that you like to such an extent that you sometimes are shocked that there are people out there that don't like the things you like. But I also think that it's kind of the rise of, of franchise films, like in the last 30 or, you know, 30 or 40 years, you know, you mentioned the, the golden age, there were sequels back then, but there wasn't that kind of hardcore fan base that you found with certain franchises. I think, movies were considered a fun and engaging art form to uh to watch but i think over over the years because oh i here's an indiana jones movie and then a few years later they make another one and then another one and before you know it people start to really identify with not just the character but the overall franchise and i think that's something that is you know 40 years is not recent but probably starting with like Star Wars and then certainly in the 2000s, like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Hunger Games, uh, Marvel films, that sort of thing. Uh, people started to identify with these series of movies. And so between that and the internet, uh, and I love the internet. We're on the internet right now. I'm very much in favor of it, but it can really, it's weird. It, it can plug you into the rest of the world, but can also allow you to create to create your own world where no one disagrees with you. And if they do, well, it must be for their own dumb reasons, not for any real reason, not, you know, not for some pure reason, like the reason that I like this movie. So yeah, I have a lot of uh, theories about this, but they tend to make me sound overly bitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's an age thing too, I think. I mean, because you're talking 40 sure. years. You're talking a lot of these people were kids are now adults with the monies. And, you know, they were making some of those decisions. And I want to get into a little bit more because it's it's an interesting topic to really talk about the generational gap. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I like your take on – and I, I really want to like – Write that down, the difference between a troll and someone with an opinion and, and the differentials there with that. Um, but I, we want to take a really quick commercial break for about five seconds here. We're going to get off air and listen to a brief commercial. If you're not listening to us on your favorite podcast um, app, like Apple or whatever it may be, try and listening to us on PodCoin because that is one of our, our sponsors and we love PodCoin. They've done a, a great job by us uh, sponsoring us and getting us those few extra listens every once in a while. So we're going to take a few seconds here for a commercial break and be right back with more of Tyler and his amazing interviewing skills that just puts us to shame by, by miles. So we'll be right back in half a second. All right. And Ernie, if you will, please, now that we're back – Seamless transition. It's a beautiful thing. So, uh, so Ernie, I want to check with you if you had any specific questions. Others, I want to delve into a little bit more of this age gap and these children that are now grown up. But I want to check with you first to see if you have any specific questions for Tyler. Well, Tyler, you know um, how I I can I can think back of my er, earliest movie memories, like maybe late seventies. I was like okay. maybe like five, six at the time. Like I remember when – like my first vivid memory of, of going to the movies was seeing Jaws at a drive-in, um, seeing uh, Star Wars, you know, the second time it came around in 77, um, all those other things. One of the movies that I recently revisited, and I don't know if you've done this before, where like you, you let so much time pass between you, you see a movie, but you have recollections of it. 
And one that kind of caught me by surprise was the Bad News Bears. The, sure. the Walter Matthau one. Oh, wow. And, That's going back. Yeah, I haven't seen it probably <laughs> since the 80s, okay? And that was back when, like, um, you know, they would have, like, a Saturday, you know, afternoon movie at 4. You know, it's the Bad News Bears, and you wait all week to be, like, Saturday at 4 o'clock to watch it. And, of course, it's edited. But uh, That's a really good afternoon movie, too. Like, it feels wrong to watch that movie at night. Yeah. Yeah, it's just an afternoon movie. It's about kids. It's about baseball. You know, it's played in the light, not under lights or anything like that. Um, and, like, I think every scene in that movie shot, like, in daylight, if I'm not mistaken. Nothing's at night in that movie. Um, but, like, the way I look at it, it's like that moment of time, we could probably never recapture that. I know they tried to reboot the movie, like, in the 2000s, the Billy Bob one. But yeah. I would put this movie up there with, like, probably the best baseball story told in movies because like it goes through like the victories, you know, the, the people, the players, they're not magically like superstars or anything like that. And, no like, in the outfield. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> class, there's no like Robert Redford hitting one up into the lights. You know, it's nothing like that. Right. It's or dead players like, you know, uh, field of dreams, field of dreams, you know, Oh gosh, man, <laughs> you pull it at the heart springs there. Yeah. Um, right. But, like, at the end, you know, it's like they lose. And I think, like, and every and, and this day I watched it. I watched it the other night. I really thought they were going to win. But, of course, you know, it's like, like they don't win. You know? Wow. So, you, you relive that moment of I know they're going to win because you're used to that happy ending too nowadays, right? I mean every movie has to have a happy ending. Yeah, the guys have to go through turmoil and end on a happy note. So do you have anything, like, that compares to that, like, like in your experience, like what you've seen? Um, I mean, there certainly, um, and it sounds like I'm, I'm a few years, uh, younger than you, which is exciting. Aww, Cause everybody's younger can... than Ernie. Yeah. Thanks oh, okay. a lot, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but it plays into, because at this point, like I'm old enough and, and you're old enough that now a few years difference doesn't, doesn't matter that much. Oh, but when you're kids, a few years difference is everything. Yeah. Especially, I mean, there are movies, there, there, there are movies I've seen that, you know, my older brother, he's four years older. And then I, I have friends that are maybe two years older and that doesn't mean anything now, but it meant that we watched different cartoons growing up. We saw different movies and we have different associations, you know? So like, for example, like you, you remember seeing Jaws. Jaws is one of the films that I watched a million times when I was a kid. I still adore it. Um, but it's, it's one of those films that it just existed. It, as long as I've been around, it has been around and it, they showed it on TV all the time. And so I would watch it, uh, and, and really loved it. Um, and I, I find myself wishing like, Oh, I wish that I could have seen jaws in the theater when no one knew what it was. Oh, I, feel I-, like, I feel the same way about alien. Like I wish I could go back and see alien before anybody knew that that thing was coming out of John Hurt's chest. Like what a wonderful experience that would be. Um, but I'm sure there are people that say, that are younger, like film, uh, film fans that are younger that might say that about the movies that I, that I watched in high school and college. Like, Oh, you saw the matrix in the theater. I can't believe it. Like I would have loved to see this movie that no one knew anything about. And then that's what it is, you know, and it, and it shapes the, uh, shapes, science fiction and action same with movies like jurassic park but to go back to what you're saying like that yeah there are movies that i watched growing up 
and I loved them at the time. And some of them as an adult, I have an, an even deeper love for jaws being one of them. And then others, uh, this is going to be an unpopular one. The third Indiana Jones. Wait, the there last are crusade? There are things, last crusade. Okay. <laughs> there are things I like about it, but my wife and I just watch the, the first three, the fourth one, as far as I'm concerned, who cares? You know, it doesn't exist. Wow. But, um, You're not alone. I, I've heard that before. I enjoyed the fourth yeah. one, but I, I guess it's everybody their own, right? It has its moments. My pro- I have issues with like what the fourth one is trying to do as opposed to what the Indiana Jones movies have always tried to do. But anyway. Um, I keep wishing for you know who to die in that one, and he just doesn't. Oh, that doesn't uh... – you know, your boy from Trans- that doesn't necessarily bother me, but it's uh, it's hard to explain. Anyway, yes, go on. But a lot of my problem with the fourth one is it kind of starts with the third one, which was it felt like they're playing it way too safe. The first one, they go after this, you know, this biblical relic. They they come against the Nazis. Sala is there. Marcus Brody is there. Like all of that, and then the second one, they go to India. They're dealing with this random cult and all that and he's got short round with him and and he's it's it's such a different circumstance and then the third one it's nazis it's a biblical relic Salah's there brody's that like they're just kind of recycling everything the one thing that they bring in which is indiana jones father which is all well and good except now they're trying to add depth to the character which is never what the series was meant to be about uh indiana jones was meant to be sort of this icon more than an actual character and so with the third one, it felt like they were playing it safe and that they were uh, uh, afraid. Um, and it's worth noting that like, there are people that didn't really like the second one because they thought it was too dark. And then those people love the third one. It's like, yeah, that's because it's giving you what you wanted. And I don't want to, I don't want a movie that just gives me what I want. I want a movie to be what it's supposed to be. And I, and I think it would be so much more exciting if the third film had been Indiana Jones in a completely different part of the world. He could be in Russia. He could be in China and dealing with a completely different type of supernatural artifact um, and dealing with different characters and different types of villains. But by returning back to all, pretty much all of the stuff from the first film, it just felt like something, uh, something of a cop-out. Uh, and it's a film I used to love when I was a kid, but now I look at it and I realize like, oh yeah, they really were playing it safe this time. Well, yeah, they went Old Testament, New Testament is what they did. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting statement that you, that you say there. And I, I really love that because you think about it and you're like, okay, where could they go next? And you're right. They really did play it safe with the third. And I love the interactions. I like him and his father going back and forth. They had some great scenes in that. You know, you figure yeah, out. Sean you know, Connery was, was great. Yeah. I think he did a great job. But you're right. It is an extremely safe almost formulaic at that point and it kind of continued very heavily into the fourth one with the same idea you know and they it almost seemed like they were making they're trying to make it a franchise which wasn't the point it's a franchise just because there's more than one movie not because it's being built to be a franchise i think they kind of lost that um but yeah they could have done so many other different countries and so many different other artifacts that it could have been would have been a lot more fun i think to kind of explore you know something that he'd never seen before rather than going back and reformula re, redoing the same formula over and over again so that's kind of a interesting thing and they and the problem i think is tyler and i think you kind of are seeing this and saying it in the larger sense is that's kind of where they're going with a lot of movies these days too it's become a real theme would you, would you agree that that's kind of the direction that it's, it seems to be going in general, or there's still some really creepy uh, movies left. 
Can you, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard not to sound like a crotchety old man <laughs> after, after a certain point, because, you know, movies were remade back, you know, back in the, in the classic era. I mean, one of my favorite movies is the Maltese Falcon from 1941. Uh-huh. Bogart. And yep. that was the third, that was the third adaptation of that book. And the book was written in the twenties. That means that there were three movies of this book made between the, the late twenties and 1941. And then wow. Maltese Falcon comes out and they haven't remade it since because it's like, okay, we got it right. You know? So it's, this is not a new, and then, I mean, Frankenstein, Dracula, like this. Yeah. It's a classic. Remakes, yeah. Yeah, remakes or at least reimagining of uh, the source material, that's not a new idea. No. But it does but you know, having just seen the new child's play, um, you know, they do these these remakes and these reboots and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them, but to me it's like you do something because you do a remake because something was missing before or society has changed and revisiting this material knowing what we know now could actually shed new light on it you know that's that's why a remake can work um as opposed to simply exploiting like oh people they know this so if we remake it they'll just see it the planet of the Apes, you know? the original run when they just said we're making money but we're going to skimp on the on the budget <laughs> so each one progressively got worse where you saw them wearing yeah. plastic masks in like the fourth one. And that's, and that's the thing is, you know, they, they, they revisited planet of the apes, uh, the last few years. And I think what they have is this new technology, like motion capture technology. And they're telling the story of how on earth did this happen? Right. Uh, quite literally how on earth did this happen? Um, uh, it was Earth the whole time. I don't know if you guys know or not. But, uh, Thank you. You destroyed it for all of us. Thank you, sir. Thank I'm sorry. You. Yeah. Uh, but that's a perfect I blew example. It up. That was actually a reboot that I felt was so well done. And Woody Harrelson yeah. in the last one, oh my God, was perfect. Yeah. So that's well, the, a very good point. Was, that second movie to me, the whole brother-brother story. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a really – I don't – I'm not like over the moon about the series because it always feels like they're always holding back just a little bit so they can keep the franchise going, but I still enjoy them. And I think Andy Serkis is doing great work and the motion capture, like you don't get better than that. Like the skin texture, it looks beautiful. Um, and so that's, that's a remake or a reboot, uh, that I think justifies its own existence as opposed to, as we were just talking, um, about, the Lion King, which is, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm sure they'll incorporate some new, you know, story beats and maybe one or two new songs. That's fine. But in the end, like, wh- why did this movie have to be made? It just smacks of opportunism. And, you know, the the older one at this point, I guess it's 25 years old. That's that's been a while. But people are still watching it. Yeah. You know, if you want to revisit something that nobody cares about anymore. OK, that's fine. But. Every, every, you know, I don't have any kids, but all my friends have kids and, you know, they're four and five and they've seen it, you know, like this is not a necessary film when they did Cinderella a few years ago. Okay. The, the animated film was, was pretty old at that point. And Kenneth Branagh like added some new story beats, some new character beats and really created sort of a fresh feeling film. But then like with jungle book and then I didn't see Aladdin um, and uh, now and I, white and the huntsman remember that that was a nice that's, series of movies. yeah 
and there, there are things about that movie I don't that I I like quite a bit, but yeah, it's it's still not that great. Well, I think Beauty and the Beast kind of hit hit the nail on the head of why a reboot is done. I mean, that was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. No, no, no. I actually, I personally actually really enjoyed it, and I felt like okay. as a true musical adaptation of the animated movie that it actually was pretty well done. Like it had, a, it added some significant value, at least as a remastered version, if nothing else. Well, and there's this idea that you know we're dealing with. It's such a fantastic uh, premise, by which I mean like. From a fantasy standpoint, we're dealing with not merely this beast, but also this fascinating castle and these anthropomorphized objects. And so it's this idea of like, what would that look like in real life? It's it's something that you're curious about. Whereas and and you get to see like a real life Belle and a real life Gaston interacting with these things, as opposed to the Lion King, where there are no human characters, there are only these lions. And so ultimately what they're doing is they're just saying like, hey, would you like to see the Lion King look a little bit more real? But but they're not doing anything that new with it. And you know what? I, I I could be wrong. I could go and see it and think they're doing great work with it, except I can't imagine that's possible. It looks like it's such... It's a cash a grab. It doesn't. It, it doesn't look like anybody felt passion while they were making it. Just that it almost felt like a, an inevitability more than anything else. Well, that's how I felt when I took my daughter to see Aladdin. Now she loves the the cartoon. That was all Robin Williams, right? Just, sure. You know she loves it. She she still laughs at the same things. I still laugh at the same things. I've seen it a hundred times. I yeah. went and saw this. And honestly, I, I was like, yeah, it's a good movie because a lot of it's based on that original. But like the stuff that they added, like I guess you could say like they kind of took the genie out of it because knowing that there's only one Robin Williams, right? So which is you probably have, a good call. Yeah, which is Will Smith basically reprising his role as Hitch and it sure. really focuses more on Jasmine and, and Aladdin. Yeah. So it's so, a story shift then and, and instead of a true like remake, it, it is a remake, but they have at least – at least they have something different where they shift the story a little bit and make it more about those characters. Because in the original tale, like the original, original story, the book, the, the genie wasn't as huge of a role in the story as Robin Williams made it out to be. It was really right. more about Jasmine and Aladdin and that prince beca- – you know, the, the prince becoming a prince in true form, not just because you know he was made one by the genie. So it kind of refocused it. But yeah, I mean, you, you have that, like the next one coming that, that is really going to make the, the, the world kind of look at something in a new way is probably Mulan live action. I think that's sure. the one that's going to actually show something exciting and different that, that everybody wants to see. Yeah. And then, of course- well, and I, and I think one of the things that it's going to do along the, and Aladdin is kind of similar in this way. Um, you know, a big conversation that's happening right now in, in the movie world is the idea of representation, which is the idea of of movies being uh, movies starring, you know, ethnicities other than white. And even then, like, you know, like African-Americans are from a from a representation standpoint, they're pretty well represented. Like you can name any number of like noted African-American stars, but like Latinos, Asians, 
um, and then like uh, Indians or or like Middle Eastern, like they are not really well represented. They're they're often like supporting characters, and so the idea of of casting Aladdin with pretty much like an all Middle Eastern cast, same as Mulan, it's going to be like nothing but uh, Asian actors. That is something that I, I can understand the desire to do that. Um, and not just to like cater to people that are really strong, have really strong opinions about it, but it's, it's this idea of like, Hey, these, these fairy tales are worldwide and these are the types of people that, that it would affect, you know? And when it comes right down to it, like the characters in Mulan, they do, they draw them to sort of look, I won't say stereotypical. They don't, they don't exaggerate, but that's the thing is. 2D animation, the characters are only ever going to look so different. Whereas when you actually cast Asian actors, like any any Asian kid in the audience will look at that and say, "Oh, that's that's like me." And so I do th- I can understand from that level why these films need to be made. Except I don't think that's why they were made. I think they were made solely as as products. Uh, to be sold. Yeah, we have these IPs back here collecting dust. They did well. Let's bring them back out. Yeah, and they're not even collecting dust. That's the other thing. They're they're still being interacted with quite frequently, and it's this idea of like, well, we can't release Lion King in the theater. We can't re-release Lion King in the theater, so maybe let's do the next best thing and do this this uh, CG thing. Meanwhile, if you were to re-release Lion King in the theater, I think people would go and see it. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, me, speaking of which, yes. what are your thoughts on Disney uh, re-releasing Endgame with the two extra bonus scenes? And one of them wasn't even finished. Yeah, I think it's that. And, I mean, I there's a lot like yeah. I was so invested in the MCU that like when I was driving because I was teaching a stupid class, I didn't get to go see the critic screening, which I guess for some reason. So I had to see it with, you know, the rabble, just the regular, just the regular people. But <laughs> you know what? I, in retrospect, <laughs> I'm glad I did because it's that's the kind of movie that I was happy to see with like a, a real audience and not just a bunch of jaded critics. And so. And I was because the Infinity Gauntlet series in the comics that happened when I was nine years old. I read all of them. I love them. And I found them heartbreaking when all these characters died and all that. And so even though I knew they weren't going to do everything that the comics did, I was still really excited to see it. So when I was driving to Endgame, I found myself having like a physical reaction, like a, like my excitement was like physicalized, like in my hands, like they're almost shaking. And I had this thought of like, Boy, I better not get in a car accident because and die because if I do, I won't get to see Endgame. And I know, and it's weird because I'm not even that big of a superhero or comic book guy. But it was just, it was the culmination of the of the last 11 years of movies. So I was so excited to see it, and I think the film is is deeply flawed. But I still enjoyed it. That said. This re-release with two, so soon after the the film already came out, and now it's like, oh, it's got two more scenes. That feels like a full-on cynical cash grab. That is them trying to beat Avatar at the box office. And how can we do that? Oh, I know. Let's do this and just because they know that like the the hardcore comic book nerds, and I don't say that in a derisive way. For two more scenes, they might go do it. They might go see it. And that, that might give them enough of a financial bump I, to I, beat Avatar. I've been saying that since I heard about it on the interwebs. I was like, they're not. Yes. Disney will not do this. They won't be that 
shallow, you know what I mean, or two-dimensional to say, yeah, we just want the money to beat Avatar. We want to have the number one grossing movie of all time. And we were close, but we need a little extra push. And you guys <laughs> Meanwhile, my my students can tell you yeah. that one of the one of the little rants that I tend to go off on is this whole box office thing. And the idea it's like, oh, Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all times. Like, not really. Not if you take inflation into account. If you do that, Gone with the Wind is still number one. And no, and pretty much nothing is going to unseat it. Yeah. Ta- Titanic was up there. Avatar was up there. Uh, the Avengers was up there. Okay, that's all well and good. But like, you know, Star Wars from 77, that's still like number two, I think. I think Jaws only just got bumped out of the top 10 slot. Again, that's looking, that's adjusting for inflation. If you don't do that, then yeah, the nickel per ticket that they, that people paid for Gone with the Wind is not going to be, is nothing compared to the 17 or $18 that people are paying for Endgame. Like, that's idiotic to look at it that way. Like, you need to contextualize this stuff. But... People don't think about that, so they're able to say, we got to beat Avatar. It's like, well, a number of movies have already beaten Avatar 70 well, don't years say before that it was made. Um, yeah, don't say that, don't that's, say that's that around Jim, though. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like hearing that. Who? <laughs> I, I'm, on, I'm on first name basis with James Cameron. You know, yeah. like, oh, him, yeah. Jim, Jim boy, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's a funny thing because we've actually talked about it a couple times as well, that whole idea of contextualizing the numbers to, okay, you can't go by price. You can't go by pure profit, even international profit numbers. You can't do that because that's not the point. It's number of seats sold, and now they're starting to manipulate that too, or at least that's what the rumors are. I see it happen. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've seen it too. I I saw with freaking Detective Pikachu of all movies. It's like – yeah, we're sold out. We have no seats. I go into the theater. There are seats. Where are all these people? I don't yeah. know, but they're not there in their seats. Yeah, I uh, I heard that about uh, Captain Marvel, actually. And granted, because that movie has like mm-hmm. – there's so much political a- around it, you know, like feminist stuff and anti-feminist stuff. So, you know, you, you can't always trust some of these accounts, but there are people that's you know – when Marvel is is saying like, look at how much money Captain Marvel made, like, and they're they're touting it as like, see, everybody likes, everybody wants like a female superhero and that kind of thing. Meanwhile, there are people on 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 YouTube and elsewhere that said like, yeah, I went to what I thought was going to be a full theater and it was like maybe a quarter full. I don't know what's going on. And so there's this conspiracy theory out there that like Marvel was buying the tickets itself so that it could. Uh, not merely play up the success of the film, but also uh, sort of uh, push uh, a certain uh, agenda. Again, I'm not saying I'm against any agenda or anything like that, but it's just uh, you hear these stories and it's like, boy, I hope for whatever reason, I I really hope they're not true. I hope it's just a conspiracy theory. I hope so too, but you start you start to wonder the more and more you see it and these numbers just coming out on it. But it's kind of a, a subcategory of the field and it really comes back to kind of what you're saying. It's it's kind of a, you know, did you enjoy the movie? Is it something you can sit down with a bag of popcorn and just sit there and enjoy without having to analyze too much? And yeah, I agree. You know, even even Endgame and, you know, Ernie loves saying that I, I, I'm all Disney all the time, but it, it, and I do enjoy their movies, but I also enjoy a lot of other type uh, of you know mass media movies. But it, it it has some deep flaws, but it did get you, as you said, that that visceral response, even in theaters, when you're like that. There's those scenes, those moments that oh, you've yeah. been waiting for from a comic. 
me, no matter how much you didn't like that movie, when Cap grabbed that hammer. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I watched that over and over yeah. forever. And that's, that's yeah. one because it's not – it's a moment that was foreshadowed, but you didn't think it was ever going to pay off in that way. So when it does – I mean, my theater was like cheering and you know what? I was too. Uh, even though again, like that wasn't, it wasn't maybe precisely because it was unexpected and it's such a wonderful, a lot of people, uh, criticized infinity war because, uh, cap wasn't in it very much. And I think they, I think they more than made up for that in Endgame. I think they, they played him down in infinity war precisely so that he can be the, the big hero, uh, I mean, there are several big heroes, but that he can have these big moments in in Endgame, um, and that was and that was him just him going going against Thanos with his shield and the hammer, like is a pretty great moment. I I was in it the the hundred percent. And that's a great thing about movies about movies like that, you know. And, and again, there may be a lot of flaws. You maybe you may be able to tear them apart in a lot of different ways, and that's fine. If, if that's your thing, go ahead and do it. But when you look for those moments of just pure enjoyability. And yeah, there's a lot of negativity around Disney right now and their their empire that's marching forward ever so much yeah. and what they're doing. But they do have that magical ability to seriously, in these moments, just pull at your emotions and just get you fully invested whether you want it to be or not. You're going to go back and see it again. You're going to go back and see the next one. You may still have issues. You st- may still complain a little bit and be that bitter old critic, if you will, uh, to quote you there. Um, but you're still going to go back and see more because you're waiting for those little mini surprises that make them enjoyable. And that, I, I really don't see, as you said, it coming from like their next – like from The Lion King. But you're hoping. You're hoping for that one moment that just like, OK, yeah. fine. You got me. You know, Right there, you got me. And that's the thing is, you know, a lot of people uh, have said to me and have said to a number of other critics that like, you know, you just go in and you assume the worst and then, you know, you go in with a negative attitude. It's like, well, first off, everybody goes in with a preconceived notion of the movie they're about to see. All right. Uh, If somebody gets dragged to a movie by their boyfriend or their girlfriend, they're all they're they're automatically going in resistant to the film. And similarly, you, you, if you go see a movie that you want to see, you're going in with a positive expectation. Everybody has an expectation, positive or negative. That's fine. Um, the problem is that if it's, if it's a movie that I ultimately wind up not liking, people can always just say, well, you didn't want to like it. It's like, well, I didn't expect much of it, but at the same time, I do try to keep an open mind and I'm more than willing to let a movie surprise me. Um, last year, the movie The Meg. All yes. Right? I, I went in thinking this movie is going to be dumb as hell. And don't get me wrong. It is. But it also. <laughs> so it's a dumb movie. But. But, <laughs> but, but also it's, it's dumb in like certain story beats and character beats and that kind of thing. But what it's doing and how it's doing it is it's. Just because it's dumb doesn't mean it's lazy. There are plenty of smart movies that are lazy and plenty of dumb movies that are working really hard. And The Meg is a dumb movie that is working really hard. And so it allows these characters to have moments that you wouldn't have expected. Uh, It could have been very lazy. It could have said, yeah, it's a giant shark movie. 
what, what more yeah. do you need? But it has yeah. these little moments of mournfulness uh, that really surprised me. And so I went in with no, no, with very low expectations. And sometimes the good thing about low expectations is that if you allow yourself to, uh, they can surprise you, you know, you, you let yourself be surprised. And so, um, so yeah, it's, expectations, positive or negative, those aren't the issue. The issue is, can you still keep an open mind uh, to the movie? Because I do think that in the in the age of the internet, it's not enough to like a movie or not like a movie. You also have to sort of, you sort of have to have predicted it ahead of time. Like, oh yeah, I knew that was going to be yeah. good. You know, and so I do think that there is, there seems to be some value put on that where you have to have seen everything coming, whether it be a twist in a movie or the success of a movie or the quality of a movie, whatever it is. Um, and so I do think there are people that sort of dig in their hill, uh, dig in their heels uh, on their expectations because they don't want to be shown to have been wrong. And I've been in, in that position as well. There are movies that like what everything I just said about the Lion King. I am not expecting it to be very good. I think I'm probably going to feel that it's unnecessary as I do now. And, and I've said, I have now said that publicly. So if I go in and the movie actually is really good, then I've been, I've been shown to be wrong and nobody likes that. But to me, it's like, yeah, but what a wonderful thing it is to be wrong here because it means I had a fun experience, you know? So it's, I don't know. I, it's something I've been thinking more about lately is just, the impact of the internet and the impact of people wanting to come across a certain way on the internet and how that impacts how we discuss movies, art, politics, religion, all of these things. And, uh, again, I don't mean to sound like a crotchety old man who hates the internet. I adore the internet. I wouldn't have a career if not for the internet, but, uh, it definitely does bring out some, some negative elements of, of users. Well, I'm going to say as a student right now, um, I'm taking away two definite final points, final points, if you will, but definite some takeaways here of really being able to go to a movie with an open mind and being able to admit if you happen to be wrong about a movie either way, whether you yeah. thought it was good, bad, or vice versa. It's it's truly inspirational. I, I can see how you can teach a classroom very effectively because oh, I, I love you. it. It's, it's great. Yeah, no, just just me personally. I, but Ernie, go my, ahead. My whole thing is uh, you had before mentioned Child's Play. You're talking about the recent one that just came out, correct? All right, yes. so I haven't seen it. Now, mind you, when I first heard the news about it last year, about it being shot and everything, I was like, is this movie really necessary? Who out there is saying we need more Child's Play movies, right? And then I heard, no, it's not a continuation of the original story. It's something completely brand new. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be extremely bad. Until my hero, Mark Hamill, had an interview about it. And yeah, he, I saw that interview too. Did you see? Yeah, that was a cool I don't interview. know if you've seen that, Tyler. Have you? Uh, I'll be honest. I try to avoid watching interviews oh. um, because I kind of – it sounds bad, but that can kind of bias a person one way or another. And uh, I, I, I usually watch stuff after I – write my review but usually not beforehand and i just haven't gotten to that okay all right well it's a great interview if you ever get around to watching it it's about him getting the script for this and he's like well i don't know about this and apparently the director how sold it on him was he sold it to him as a greek tragedy and how like essentially like in the original story like evil evil was basically put into this object 
And in mm. this new one, that's not the case. It's essentially like it's it doesn't know. It's like all the safeties have been removed. So it doesn't really know that it's doing these things, right? It thinks it's having fun. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that I do like about it. I think the film doesn't do much with it. First off, I don't think it's scary at all. Um, and I don't think it's actually remarkably clever. But I think it does bring something new to the Child's Play series, which is rather than have the 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 doll have a malicious intent uh instead it has extremely good intent it's it is you know lethally loyal essentially um and it reminds me in many ways of like hal 9000 from 2001 a space odyssey except it has a little oh. bit more it has a little bit more um like personality and it's it would appear to have feelings um I think every once in a while they try to they bring in a little bit too much personality to the to the Chucky doll, but um, yeah, I actually for the most part I really appreciate their restraint that they don't turn him into the murderous psychopath that they did with with Brad Dorif, that they keep him at an even keel, and that actually makes him more uh, makes him a little creepier. I still don't think the movie's that scary, but I, I they they did find a different a different way to go about it, and so that's not a film that I that I. Uh, question the the reason for its existence. They do make enough decisions that work uh, differently than the original film. So they do bring something new to it. I don't think it's that effective, but I appreciate that that's what they're doing. Well, and the fact it has Mark Hamill, you know, doesn't hurt either. I suppose. And if, you're, if you truly are creeped out by dolls in general, like mannequins and that whole, you know, puppeteering thing, and that kind of creeps you out, may not be scary for everybody, but if you have a phobia, then it may be just scary enough. Oh, for me, for me, that's why I can't watch it. You know, clowns. Yeah, you know? sure. No matter how lack of scary it is, he's still scared of clowns and spiders. And spiders, yeah. Oh, uh, you're not going to – hey, you know what? I'm perfectly fine to pivot this podcast to just talk about the evil of spiders. Uh, that's perfectly fine with me. Um over at my other podcast, More Than One Lesson, um, we have a shirt available for sale. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody's bought it because why would they? But uh, there is a shirt based on something that uh, came out of an episode where I ultimately said, if you're not scared of spiders, you're not paying attention because <laughs> spiders are monsters. Okay. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the desert of California where there are tarantulas and scorpions and rattlesnakes and all, and all that sort of thing. Obviously, rattlesnakes are, are scary because they're so deadly. Um, you know, scorpions just look like a freaking tank. Um, but there's something about tarantulas that just scared the hell out of me. And then I remembered, oh, it's because um, they're just absolute demonic monsters. Uh, and, you know, having just wa rewatched Indiana Jones and then in that first uh, the, the whole the, the trilogy, and in that first film, when Alfred Molina has like 30 tarantulas on him, I, like I have a hard time watching it. And I feel like it was like, I think his first film role. Yeah. And if I, was in, if I were in that position and it's my first film role and there's Harrison Ford and, you know, there's Steven Spielberg. And it's just like, OK, in order to keep this role, you have to have these tarantulas on you. It's like, well, I guess I'm not in the movie business anymore. I guess I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Uh, be a plumber or something like that, because if that's what it costs, then that is a price I'm unwilling to pay. Um, to me, like anytime someone says, oh, spiders, they're not that scary. It's like, look at it this way. If you have a fantasy film and you need a monster, OK, 
and you want the monster to be based on an existing creature. What do they do? They take spiders, they take snakes, and just make them bigger, okay? Yep. Whether it be Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, whatever it is, like we, we instinctively know that spiders are so inherently predatory that the worst thing we could ever be is its prey. And so in order to, so when you want to make a monster, all you have to do is take an existing monster, which is spiders. Again, they are full on monsters yeah. and just make them big. And then people will be like, oh, right, of course. Now I understand. It's like, yeah, but you only understand because it's bigger. Don't worry. It's just as evil when it's small. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you. Spiders uh, can go straight to hell. <laughs> there you go, Ernie. You found it. Robert can attest to this. One night, I, I went to him uh, early in the morning. We were going for our morning coffee walk, and um, I was telling him that I was up late because I read an article about these uh, two like Swedish scientists, and they were doing a study on spiders, right? And they basically worked out, mathematically worked out that in your that in your day, twenty four hours a day, you're within six feet of a spider at all within, times. Within what? Sorry, you cut out there. You're within six feet of a spider at all times of the day. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I figured there was a reason that I was terrified all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this at like eleven o'clock at night. Now I can't sleep. Let me read more, right? And they basically said like. It would like if if the if the spiders were to rise up against us, that essentially they would they would consume like everything within two years, like the entire planet. Right. And they and consume is what they would do being predators as they are. Yeah, um, that's, you know, and which is why if I see a spider, I know there are going to be people out there that are like animal lovers and they're not going to like what I have to say. If I see a spider, I kill it. That's how it works. It might be bothering me. It might not. But it's one less spider in the world. And that's yep. a big win for me. I think that's a win, too. Yeah. I mean, I see one crawling in the car. That's it, man. I'm selling the car. Yeah. I'm getting a new car. I have to do something. <laughs> And when people say like, oh, but spiders, they take care of the other pests. You know what? We'll figure something out. If we find a way to kill all the spiders, then chances are we'll be able to find a way to kill all the flies. All right? So we'll do okay. Hey, that dude's making a mint from that gun that shoots salt at flies. I'm just throwing it out there. There you go. Sure. There you go. Well, I really, I really want to thank you guys, um, Tyler. You have been an absolute amazing guest for us. I wanted before we we end this gloriousness, I want to put put you out there, give you a chance to promote anything you wanted to promote for yourself. So I'll give okay. you a moment to do that here in a second. Um, as always, I want to thank Ernie and all of our fans for listening and enjoying. I think. I don't know. I've had a great time here. This is one of one of the most fun uh, interviews I've ever done. So thank you, Tyler, for being an amazing guest. Um, oh, but thank you. Give you the two seconds here. Promote whatever it is you want to promote and go. Yeah, go okay. ahead. I have a podcast called Battleship Pretension. It has been going since 2007. We do an episode every week. It is topic-oriented. Um, as of the recording, the most recent episode uh, is about if movies uh, are even culturally important anymore. So some of the topics are pretty uh, lofty. Um, but yeah, so if you go to battleshippretension.com, you can hear uh, the podcast, but we also have written reviews of new movies and older movies. Uh, and then also when you go to battleshippretension.com on the left-hand side of the page, you will see an ad for my new book, 
which is called um, Cinematic Suffering Reviews of Terrible Movies, um, in which I, I, comp- I compiled some of my some of my reviews over the years. Now, here's the thing. I, I worded that specifically because I don't say negative reviews of terrible movies. I say reviews of terrible movies. Now, most of the reviews are negative, but I did set aside an entire chapter to movies that on paper are really not very good and might not actually be that effective, but I still came away from them with sort of a positive feeling. Um, Because one thing that I want to try and put out there is this idea that it's possible to be positive while being negative. It's, you know, in the same with my Toy Story 4 review, there's a lot of good in there. So even though my review is officially negative, you don't have to, it's not all black and white. It's not all rotten and fresh, if you'll pardon me. Mm, Um, there's, There's room for nuance. So Well, I definitely, you know, I play up the, the negative part of the, of the book, but really it's just my attempt to, to show that there is such a thing as constructive criticism. There you go. Very nice. I love it. I love it. Well, Tyler has been fantastic. Um, we of course love it and we're, I'm going to go look up his book right now and get it myself. I think that's a great, great concept for a book. I'm I'm absolutely in, in love with that idea. Yeah, cool, right? Um, we we will we will definitely uh, talk to Tyler about coming on again in the in the not so distant future because this has been amazing. Please like us, love us, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and of course the occasional video on YouTube and uh, TikTok, which is just ridiculousness personified. Um, more to come on those as always, and of course subscribe and like us right here on Anchor or wherever you get your glorious podcast. Ernie, as always, make the movie magic happen. Peace out. Peace out, everybody, and have a great evening. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.